Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star and then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, the workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Norma. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's workshop, Coping with the Stresses of Caregiving When Your Loved One Has Multiple Myeloma. Now, today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations and a number of organizations also that really um, are quite um, specific to myeloma as well. And because of that collaboration, we have on the call today over 455 participants. And you come from all over the United States, so from all different parts, both rural, urban, and suburban areas, so from all different regions. Um, and, um, and also we have international participants on the call today from Canada, Ireland, and the United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call as well. Now, today's program is supported by an educational grant from Janssen Biotech, Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC, and I really want to thank them for their support of this program. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and it's a very a wonderful program. I must say we have the best of the best, and I'm going to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Erin Kent. Is she a scientific advisor for the Outcomes Research Branch, Healthcare Delivery Research Program, Division of Cancer Control and Population Sciences, National Cancer Institute. And Dr. Kent will be addressing a def definition of a caregiver, so who is a caregiver, what research tells us about caregivers, and deciding to become a caregiver, your important role with the healthcare team. It's really now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Kent. Thank you so much, Carolyn. It's really an honor to be here today to be speaking with you about this incredibly important topic. I first want to indicate that um, I am a researcher and, and a scientific advisor, as, as Carolyn mentioned, to the National Cancer Institute. And most of my work has been focused on cancer patient outcomes, including quality of life and symptom management, as well as the impact that cancer has had on families and cancer caregiving specifically. I'm not, however, a clinician. And so I do not have the experience in providing direct medical or psychosocial care. My role today instead is to tell you about what research tells us about being an informal or family caregiver for someone with multiple myeloma. Um, I also want to um, also start by saying that a cancer patient survey led by Cancer Care in 2015 found that the impact that cancer can have on family was the number one concern of, of cancer patients, of most cancer patients, indicating how critically important it is that we pay attention to our cancer patients' families in addition to the patients themselves. So what do we mean by caregiver? Let's start there. Let's start at the, at the beginning. Um, caregiver can mean different things to different people, and the term caregiver um, may not resonate with everyone, but it's a useful term to be able to sort of frame what we're, we're talking about today. So caregivers of individuals with multiple myeloma could be spouses, partners, children. They could also be relatives, friends, neighbors, or coworkers. Caregivers are any, anyone who is helping their care recipient or their patient meet their day-to-day -day needs, what we often refer to as activities of daily living. So that would include basic tasks like feeding, dressing, bathing, moving around, 
And it can also include what we call instrumental tasks, like shopping for food, paying bills, and also socializing. Tasks that caregivers can help with can, can also include medical nursing tasks, things like administering medication, changing bandages, and helping with um, medical-related devices like infusion ports and catheters. Caregivers can also help by accompanying their loved ones to medical appointments and communicating and coordinating care with healthcare providers, sometimes even advocating for services. So there are an, an, a number um, and a variety of tasks that caregivers can assist with. Now, what research tells us about caregiving is, is a, it's a growing field with um, sort of new knowledge being generated every day. Um, and I'll start by sort of the numbers of caregivers that we expect are, are, are living in the U United States right now. It's very difficult to estimate this, um, especially for, for patients who have a specific um, health problem or illness. And um, partly that's because many caregivers are helping care for loved ones with multiple health problems. Um, I will say that the National Alliance for Caregiving conducts a survey of caregivers nationwide once about every five years, and their most recent estimate is from a report published in 2015. And that report estimated that about 43.5 million adults are currently serving for a as a caregiver for a loved one with a serious medical condition. And of those, about 2.8 million individuals uh, reported serving as a caregiver for someone with cancer. Now, we think this is probably an underestimate of the total number of individuals serving as a cancer caregiver because, um, because in the survey, people had to choose which, which was the most um, uh, serious health problem that they were serving as a caregiver for. We do know that it's safe to say that there are thousands of people right now who fit the role of serving as a caregiver for a loved one with multiple myeloma, and there will be many more to come. Um, we know from the research that differences in caregivers' own health or their own well-being um, have been shown to vary across whether it's um, we're talking about the age of the, of the patient, the age of the caregiver, and then also across um, a caregiver-patient um, relationship. Uh, the range of the needs of patients and caregivers can also um, vary across the lifespan, which really indicates the need for diverse resources and services. Unfortunately, more and more resources are being developed to help caregivers find ways to get support and improve coping strategies, including um, both face-to-face -face or in-person support, as well as virtual or online or even over-the-telephone support, either one-on-one -on -one or in a group format. There are also um, increasingly toolkits and manuals being developed to help um, not only patients but caregivers do what we call self-manage um, their experiences. And in the research space, in the scientific literature, there are a number of intervention studies that are being published designed to prepare and support caregivers of cancer patients has actually doubled in the past decade from what it was before. Um, one way to find out if there are specific programs for family members um, or caregivers is to check with your treating healthcare providers or at the cancer center um, or care is being provided to your loved one to see if there are programs to help support family members or caregivers specifically. And um, the, throughout the, the today's teleconference, there'll be um, in more information about that. Um, the, the last section I wanted to talk about today before handing it over is, is what it means to decide to become a caregiver and what the role of being a caregiver can be with communicating with the healthcare team. 
so it, it, it's, it's safe to say that many caregivers feel some ambivalence um, about the role of, of being a caregiver. Very understandable. And, and there are some, uh, and we know this from some research that has uh, surveyed caregivers directly, have stated that they had no choice, really, in taking on their caregiving responsibilities. And that's important um, in part because those who said that they had no choice tended to report higher levels of caregiver stress or strain. And what the... And, and so what that means is for someone who's considering becoming a caregiver is that choice really matters and, and that it's an ongoing decisional process. So taking on this kind of role really needs to be viewed through the lens of adjustment. It's important to take some time to process what's happening, what that means for you as a caregiver and your own other commitments and your own life and schedule. And setting and revisiting, importantly, goals with your loved one is crucial. Um, Caregiving does not have to be nor should be a singular endeavor. There are ways to marshal support from additional family members and friends, and there are more and more tools to help organize requests, tasks, schedules, and expectations. Now more than ever, and especially in the setting of feeling an obligation, it's really time to activate your village. In addition, it's important to be able to communicate with the healthcare team in navigating a transition to becoming a caregiver, but also throughout the trajectory of being a caregiver. Um, and caregivers can play a significant role in communicating with a healthcare team on behalf of their loved one. So appointment scheduling, understanding medication regimens and treatment plans, managing symptoms and side effects, um, and more can be very difficult in the best of circumstances, um, even more so when someone's not feeling well. So cancer patients with a dedicated caregiver, someone who is willing and able to come to medical appointments and be able to assist, even just with listening or taking notes during appointments, can be enormously helpful. Caregivers can ask the healthcare team about recording conversations. Um, many healthcare teams will permit this, but it's always important to ask. Um, and as I mentioned uh, earlier about the survey uh, that I referenced, um, many caregivers have, are reporting that they're, they're not having those conversations with their doctors and nurses and other providers about their needs. So um, I just want to emphasize how important it is to actually raise these um, as they come up because the healthcare team um, is, there, is there to help, not just the patient, but their, but their immediate support. Um, and I just want to just close by saying, if these findings seem negative, um, I'm providing some of them to, to, to help normalize any feelings that as a caregiver you might have about the stress of caregiving. It's not necessarily stressful or positive. It can be both, um, sometimes at the same time and sometimes at different times. And there can be benefit finding or positive aspects of being a caregiver, which can include um, themes like acceptance or helping to take things as they come, um, an increased sense of empathy, um, appreciation um, for the love and support from other people, um, family, bringing uh, cl closer together, um, bringing family closer together, um, a positive self-view, or, or, or seeing, seeing yourself as a lens, through the lens of someone who is really uh, be becoming a stronger person and, and coping more effectively. And then finally, reprioritization, right? So helping to identify um, what's really, what really matters, um, who, who true friends and um, loved ones really are. And in closing, I just want to stress that there is help for caregivers out there. There's help out there. Um, from many sources, um, much of it will be provided again throughout this talk, but at the end, um, Carolyn will be re referencing some of those resources provided by Cancer Care um, at the end of the teleconference. 
So thank you very much for the opportunity to, to speak with you all today. And now I'll hand, hand it back over to Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Kent. That was really outstanding and really set the tone and the stage for today's program. And um, I think I think what uh, Dr. Kent said, and we may mention things that you may or may not be experiencing, but there are a range of emotions that we want you to be aware of or feelings. Um, and so um, if you're feeling them and you feel validated that, that, that you're having them, if you're not doing them, it's okay too. It's, it's really, um, each one of you is so unique and individual. So our next speaker um, is Dr. Elizabeth O'Donnell. Dr. O'Donnell is a Director, Lifestyle Clinic, Massachusetts General Hospital. She's Associate Director, Mass General Cancer Center, Survivorship Program, and Instructor in Medicine, Harvard Medical School. And Dr. O'Donnell will be discussing caring for your loved one with multiple myeloma, including their needs, importance of lifestyle, reducing the risk of falling, physical activity and balance, and tips on working with your healthcare team to manage your loved one's pain, neuropathy, and discomfort. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to Dr. O'Donnell. Thank you very much, and thank you for the warm welcome uh, to participate in this call uh, and talk about a subject within multiple myeloma that I think is very important. Um, so several years ago, I established this clinic uh, at our hospital for patients to self-refer for discussions of lifestyle uh, because very often these these important conversations both for the patients and for their caregivers uh, get pushed to the side in some of our regular uh, appointments so that when we're talking about blood counts and, and um, therapies, we sometimes miss some of the things that are really critical for patients and lifestyle being one of them. And so as caregivers, it often feels empowering to be able to help our loved one. What are the things that we can do for, that we can control and help with when so much is out of control? So multiple myeloma um, is a unique disease in some ways in terms of the challenges it can uh, create for physical functioning in general. It's a cancer of older patients, um, and both by nature of being older where we can see thinning of the bone, and also because of the complications of disease where we can have uh, bone lesions, fractures, and bone pain, sometimes patients can be uh, more frail. In addition, uh, most multiple myeloma regimen include the use of dexamethasone or other steroids, which can enhance bone loss as well. So one of the things that caregivers can help their loved ones with is preserving physical function or restoring physical function. And so uh, one of the things that interests me most is uh, the role of exercise uh, in cancer care. And first and foremost, it's important for everybody to realize that exercise has been studied before, during, and after cancer therapy. And with the approval of your physician, barring specific circumstances that I can elaborate, it is safe and beneficial. Exercise can improve physical functioning, can improve quality of life, mood, libido, sleep, so there are a lot of benefits to maintaining activity levels. And what we know is that cancer patients tend to decrease their level of physical activity during cancer treatment and most commonly do not return to baseline levels after completion of therapy. So what is the goal? Most patients are not starting at that goal, but what is the goal? The American College of Sports Medicine and the American Cancer Society recommend at least 150 minutes of moderate or 75 minutes of vigorous activity per week, in addition to resistance or strength training for the major muscle groups at least twice per week. 
So said differently, this is the equivalent of walking briskly for 30 minutes five days per week or 22 minutes each day. We all have different concepts of what exercise means. <clears throat> for some people, exercise may mean a daily trip to the gym or, or training for a road race, while for others, it's a short daily walk or maybe yoga. But it can also be things like gardening or taking care of children or grandchildren. Um, while the amount of exercise does matter, all activity can be beneficial. So as we think about what activity levels are, there's, we often put things into this light, moderate, and vigorous categories. And if our goal is vigorous, then that's defined um, as uh, something where you can work hard enough but still talk but maybe not sing <laughs> in terms of your intensity level. And these could include activities like brisk walking or biking on a stationary bike or on a road bike. Um, water aerobics, yoga, dancing. So there are a lot of things that qualify uh, as exercise. But as we know, in multiple myeloma, sometimes bone pain or other issues can prevent patients from doing these things. So it's in first important to ask your doctor if you're somebody who can begin this process of uh, physical uh, exertion. And if you're not, equally important as exercise is the avoidance of inactivity. It's important for to have our loved ones stay busy and continue to do their activities of daily living. When someone gets sick, we may have a tendency as a caregiver uh, to try and do things for them. Uh, but it's important to allow them to continue to do normal routines as much as possible while undergoing treatment and allow them to try to return to normal activities as quickly as possible. So ask the doctor if this is the right thing for you to do and try and find things, uh, activities that your loved one might enjoy. There doesn't need to be a rigorous and vigorous exercise plan if it's not something that can be sustained or enjoyed. So it's important to find activities uh, that appeal to the patient or maybe appeal to both of you. Maybe this is something that you can do together that's positive that you'll enjoy. Um, try and set a goal, both you know for the two of you if possible or, or for the patient. And odds are if there's a shared goal and some with someone, you're going to be more likely to do it. Goal setting can be important too. Set short and long-term goals and enjoy the satisfaction of achieving those goals as you go through it. One of the other things though um, for caregivers is again this topic of bone health. As mentioned, myeloma patients often have complications involving their bone but also by virtue of age can have thinning of the bone. Um, and so as caregivers, we want to be careful of things like avoiding falls. Um, so physical activity, particularly weight-bearing activity, uh, can help uh, strengthen bones. Things like smoking cessation, which is another lifestyle uh, intervention, is beneficial for preventing bone loss. Um, limiting alcohol consumption, so no more than one alcoholic beverage for women and two for men per day. Trying to eat a diet rich in calcium and vitamin D. Um, and consideration of pharmacological therapies. In multiple myeloma, we typically recommend the use of uh, medicines such as bisphosphonates or denosumab uh, for the, to prevent skeletal-related events. Um, these are important parts of the therapy, but also avoiding falls. How can you help your loved one do that? Encourage them to wear sturdy shoes with good traction. Watch out for slippery floors or take out obstacles in the household, such as electric cords or rugs that they can easily trip on. Uh, try to ensure adequate lighting so people don't trip or miss steps. 
uh, and inform your care provider if your if your loved one is uh, noticeably off balance, lightheaded, or dizzy. Um, finally, talking about peripheral neuropathy, which can also be uh, something our loved ones suffer from while during. Uh, receiving multiple myeloma therapy. Uh, this can be uh, associated with treatments including Velcade uh, and some of our other drugs. Peripheral neuropathy is numbness and tingling in the fingers and toes uh, and hands that initially can start at the very tips but it can evolve so that it can uh, work its way back up the legs. Not only can this be painful for patients, but it can also put our loved ones at risk of falling. So making sure that the doctor is aware uh, that your loved one is experiencing peripheral neuropathy. If we stop or modify treatment, we can often prevent it from getting worse or even in some cases um, uh, have resolved that, that complication. Uh, and again, being aware of the limitations of someone with peripheral neuropathy and trying to help them avoid falls is critical. Um, you know, the caregiver has a very important role um, in so much of all cancer care. Uh, and I think it's important to focus on the positive aspects of lifestyle as something that you can either do together or you can take control of and help your loved one who's going through cancer care um, get better, get stronger, and maybe even achieve some goals that will give gain back a sense of um, of control and also in the process improve quality of life and physical functioning. Um, thank you very much for the time to talk about this, uh, and I'll turn it back over uh, to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. O'Donnell. That was really outstanding and uh, just a wonderful presentation, and, and also just including all the issues that are so important in terms of for for both caregivers and for also people living with myeloma in terms of just really um, the, the self-care and all those issues that you mentioned in terms of the activity levels, which I know that we'll talk more about during the Q&A as well. It's just important that um, what activity means, how to stay active and and, um, and and feel good about it. So thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Sharon Flynn. Ms. Flynn is a, a nurse. She's um, um She's an advanced practice nurse, and she's a nurse, a nurse practitioner, um, research and practice development, National Institutes of Health, Clinical Research Center. Ms. Flynn is going to be addressing care coordination, challenges, and tips in talking with the interprofessional healthcare team, all the different doctors that you're seeing, all the different people that make up that team, your role in adherence, and appointments, treatment, weekends, holidays, and vacations. And it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Flynn. Great. Thank you, Dr. Messner, for the opportunity to be on the call today. And thank you to Drs. Kent and O'Donnell for their outstanding presentations, summarizing the role of a caregiver and how important caregivers are to the safety and well-being of your loved one that you're caring for. I would like to welcome all of our participants and say thank you um, for joining uh, the call today. Whether you're a person living with multiple myeloma or a caregiver of someone with multiple myeloma, you recognize the importance of the caregiving role and made the time to be on the call today. By reaching out to learn more about the caregiving role, you're taking a significant step into coping successfully with this condition and its impact on your life and the lives of others. And I'm first going to talk about care coordination. 
And so if we had a definition um, that I would, I would pull up, I would say it's the deliberate organization of patient care activities between two or more people um, to facilitate the appropriate delivery of healthcare services. And that sounds like a lot of um, big words um, to describe something that you do every single day. Um, and that's coordinating with people either on the phone or in person or by email. And it's um, you're on the phone with people making appointments at the front desk of a clinic or hospital. You're on the phone with the nurse. Um, the pharmacy, maybe the insurance company, the physician, um, and many other healthcare team members um, trying to book an appointment, refill a medication, or have a question um, answered. And it can be challenging. And so I wanted to share just a couple tips with you. Um, if possible, attend those medical appointments with your loved one um, or have another family member or friend um, be in attendance with the medical appointments. This is an excellent time to not only get questions answered in real time, um, but to bring up um, other concerns that you might have that perhaps the person that you're taking care of with multiple myeloma is hesitant to bring up. Um, they might need um, your boost of confidence to bring up those side effects that they're having. Sometimes it's embarrassing to talk about maybe nausea or diarrhea or constipation um, or even pain um, when sometimes a pain medica medication is not working um, or it has side effects that are making someone maybe too sleepy um, and they have some questions about that. Um, bring um, a piece of paper or electronic device with questions written down. Um, I like to carry uh, a notebook um, with pen and paper, but um, also embrace that electronic device that um, you can get questions from other family members um, or friends um, so that you can keep track of those questions and get those answered. Um, sometimes I feel silly asking a question that, gosh, maybe I should know the answer to this, but I just don't know it. Um, and so I'll have a physician colleague explain it to me. And I have a very good friend here who um, has explained a couple things to me multiple times. And I said, you know, could you just draw a picture for me because I'm just not grasping this. So don't be afraid um, to ask for a picture to say, hey, could you just draw, draw what's happening in this cancer treatment? Um, how does it work? I'm just not understanding, and I'm sure they would be happy um, to help you out, especially with these complex treatments. Um, difficult conversations. Sometimes um, we were talking about uh, constipation or diarrhea or, you know, maybe if someone's feeling sleepy from pain medicine. Um, sometimes it's easier not to bring up these topics. Um, but then our questions don't get answered and sometimes we kind of get stuck. Um, so if you're um, feeling overwhelmed or depressed and you say, no, everything's okay, um, but we can see as um, part of your interprofessional team that things aren't okay. Um, please feel free to tell us when you're not having a great day. What can we do to help? What resources um, do you need um, to help um, to help you or to help the person with multiple myeloma? Um, that's why we're here. There's many resources, um, both in hospitals and clinics. Um, and then there are many resources online. Um, support groups like Cancer Care have both caregiver support groups and multiple myeloma support groups. So don't be afraid to ask, um, ask for support. 
uh, caregiving can be very isolating at times, and so it's important that you have someone to talk to. Um, Dr. Kent talked about organization, um, and it, it's very important um, to try and keep yourself organized and um, the person living with cancer. Um, so if uh, you, you're getting lots of bills coming in from insurance companies or appointment reminders, try and have one place to keep all that information, whether it's electronic or if it is paper and pencil. Even something like um, keeping track of medications. Um, should I take three pills in the morning and two pills at night, or was it three pills at night and two pills in the morning? Um, it's important that uh, you have a system that works for you. And if you need to, if you're, if you're working or if you're still in school and caring for someone, that you talk to your employer or school professor um, about your caregiving responsibilities and how this might impact your work or your school. Um, you might need to um, take Mondays off because that's when the majority of the treatment appointments are. I highly encourage you to talk to your employer and see how um, you two could negotiate maybe a different schedule um, that would uh, accommodate uh, the treatment schedule better. And you don't have to be the sole caregiver. Um, ask for help. It's, it's sometimes very hard to do, um, especially I'm, I'm uh, on the East Coast here in America, and um, we want to be proud that we're independent and we're not going to ask for help. Um, but everybody needs help. Um, and so don't be afraid to enlist the help of other family members, of friends in your neighborhood, and of long-distance caregivers. And so Dr. Paleos is going to talk more in this presentation about long-distance caregiving. And it's something that I'm seeing more and more of in my practice where people aren't living locally um, that are supporting uh, the local caregiver or being caregivers. Um, they may live in another state or another country, um, but their role is very important. And so next I'm going to talk about your role in treatment adherence. And so many of today's cancer treatments are in pill form. Um, because they're in pill form, people may not think that they're as important as injections or infusions. And um, the truth is that cancer pills um, are just as important as other forms of treatment. And there are many reasons why you might be hesitant to skip a dose um, in a busy hours of a typical day. You might simply forget to take a dose, or maybe you decide to skip a dose on purpose because you don't like the side effects that you're experiencing, um, or your loved one is, or maybe the cost of the pills is prohibitive. And um, maybe if you skip a thinking if you skip a dose or two, you can save some money. Um, however, your, your treatment is designed to work the best way it can um, if you take it um, as it's directed by your doctor. Cancer medicines given by mouth can help relieve symptoms um, and destroy or stop cancer cells from growing. And when you take your medicine, it's absorbed by your body, and that, body, and that medicine travels throughout your blood vessels to different parts of your body's body looking for those cancer cells. And so... Medication adherence is taking those pills um, on schedule as your doctor ordered them. And so um, 
how does that affect your cancer treatment if you skip a pill? Um, well, cancer pills, um, anti-cancer pills, release that active ingredient set over a period of time in order to keep a steady amount of that medicine in your body. That steady level of medicine helps your pills work correctly. And um, it may be helpful to think of each dose as refreshing the amount of medicine in your body. So when you skip a dose, that level of medicine is lowered. And if this is lowered too much, it may affect the success that medicine has against working against your cancer. Um, on the other hand, if you take too many doses um, or if you take the doses too close together, um, extra medicine um, doesn't mean that uh, you get extra cancer treatment. It may mean that there are more side effects. Um, and so for this reason, if you forget to take a dose of your medicine um, or if you take too many doses together, it can make the medicine not work as well. And so you need to call your physician or pharmacist um, to, to figure out what to do together if you miss a dose, um, when you should take that next dose, um, and what the plan should be. And so some barriers to taking um, your pills on schedule is sometimes cancer pills need to be taken on an empty stomach or sometimes they need to be taken with a certain food or a certain um, liquid. Um, ask your healthcare team how all of your medicines should be taken um, and clarify what you should do during religious holidays of fasting. So right now we're in a period of Ramadan um, or if you are fasting because you're going to maybe have a imaging scan like a, a PET scan, um, how you could adjust your medication schedule to meet those needs. Um, other barriers to your treatment, um, taking your cancer pills, are how big are your pills? If you have a difficult time swallowing pills, um, maybe you had four large pills today to take a day, um, it can cause anxiety and reluctance to take that medic medication. So talk to your healthcare team um, if there's a smaller version of that pill or maybe a liquid um, version. Um, or maybe the cancer treatment's expensive and um, there might be a less expensive treatment or maybe there's resources out there to help you pay for your medications. Um, we don't ever want you to consider not taking those medications. Another, another um, barrier to your treatment is um, what are your feelings about your cancer? Do you believe that this medication or these combinations of medications are helping you? Hopefully the answer is yes, that you feel that the medications are working for you. But sometimes the answer is no or I'm not sure. It can be very difficult to take multiple pills a day or injections or other forms of treatment if you have questions about the goals of your treatment or if that treatment is working for you. So if you have questions, I would strongly encourage you to talk to your healthcare team. And how are your emotions? Are you feeling depressed? Are you still in shock from your cancer diagnosis? We know that this can uh, affect your medication schedule. You might be tempted to skip a dose because you think it doesn't matter. Um, but I'm here to tell you that you are worth fighting for and that it does matter. And to please take your medications um, on schedule. 
And finally, I'm going to talk about appointments and treatments during weekends, holidays, and vacations. Um, summertime is coming here in the United States, and so um, there's going to be a flurry of activity starting this weekend um, with holidays and traveling um, over the next couple months. And so I have some suggestions to help keep your pills on schedule and, and um, keep track of your appointments. Um, the first one is to um, get organized. Um, some people have pill boxes. Some people have uh, lists on their computers, spreadsheets, um, keeping track of their medications. Um, make sure that you have enough medication when you're going out, not just for the time that you anticipate going out, but maybe a little bit longer um, to have a full 24 hours if if you're going out for maybe just a day trip, just in case you're, you're caught off guard and you have to spend the night maybe at a friend's house or you got delayed on your trip. Um, create a medication checklist so you can check off each time that you took your medication. Um, this way you'll know what pills you've already taken and which pills you need to take. Um, I have a young uh, adult cancer patient right now who had a hard time remembering to take his medications. And so his sister came up with the idea that he always has his phone um, nearby, and every time he took a medication, he would take a picture of the pill um, right before he took it. And that way um, he could text that to his caregivers, um, including his sister, his mom, and his dad. And so um, if they didn't receive that text by a certain time, they knew that they needed to remind him, hey, it's time to take your medication. Um, establish a routine to take your, your pills um, that meet your schedule needs and try to stick to that schedule every day. Uh, this includes even when you're traveling. Um, if you're changing time zones, um, if you're flying um, from country to country um, and it's a longer um, period of time between time zones, um, ask your healthcare team what you should do. Um, a lot for a lot of my patients, I say it, you know if you're just traveling you know an hour away, try and stay on your original schedule. But if you were going to fly um, six hours away um, or a six hour difference to where you were traveling, you might need to adjust your schedule more. And so talk to your healthcare team for some strategies that they can help um, uh, figure out when would be the best times to take those medications and adjusting those times. You might want to use the alarm on your watch or phone to remind you of your next medication. And finally, um, talk to your medical team if you have any questions about uh, any of your medications. And on that note, I would like to conclude this portion of my talk by reminding you that you are not alone. There are many networks like Cancer Care um, dedicated to providing support for people um, both with multiple myeloma and, of course, for those caregivers doing that important role that you're doing. Um, today's phone conference is just one of the many resources available to you. And remember, you can do this. So thank you for inviting me on this important call today. I wish you all the very best and look forward to your questions. And with that, Dr. Messner, I'm going to turn the call back over to you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Flynn. That was really outstanding and so informative for everybody. And I really we can't thank you enough. And we will definitely take you up on questions during the Q&A so people will start preparing their questions. And our next speaker um, is um, Dr. Guadalupe Palos. And Dr. Palos is a... Um, a doctor of public health. She's also um, a social worker, a master's in social work, and she's a nurse. And um, her title is Clinical Research Manager, Division of Medical Affairs, Department of Cancer Survivorship, University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. 
And uh, Dr. Palos is going to be addressing coping with each day on special occasions, anniversaries, and birthdays, managing family, friends, and traditions, including long-distance caregiving, and practical tips to manage stress, including key strategies for self-care. It's really my great privilege to um, introduce you to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Palos. Thank you, Carolyn, for that wonderful introduction and for the opportunity to be involved um, in the discussion of such an important and timely topic, a topic, of course, that uh, affects the entire family, especially during significant occasions or special holidays, such as what's coming up in the next uh, few days. Dr. Kent provided a strong foundation to help us understand who is a caregiver and the challenges patients, families, and even the healthcare providers face in the cancer experience. Dr. O'Donnell gave us an excellent background on the importance of focusing on wellness and exercise and the unique experience which patients and caregivers face as they deal with multiple my, with the multiple myeloma experience. Ms. Flins, again, addressed the importance of care coordination, um, the role of the interdisciplinary or interprofessional health care team, and what they do in supporting patients and their families and following their medication and treatment plans. So we know that being an informal uh, or family caregiver can be taxing and yet a rewarding experience. Caregiver can bring unique stressors, challenges, and losses, such as when traditional family roles change. But it can also be an opportunity to establish unique strengths, relationships, and victories. Caregiving is a dynamic experience, particularly for a chronic disease such as cancer. There are acute and chronic stages, which involve several transitions across the, the, the trajectory of this illness. And with those traditions, the needs of our loved one diagnosed with cancer will change. And as their needs change, our roles and responsibilities and functions will also change as caregiver. An additional trend impacting, impacting the caregiver experience is the growing responsibility of complex tasks such as managing the multiple medications, providing wound care, coordinating care for several providers and appointments and services, and even learning how to use medical equipment or devices. In addition to these responsibilities, a caregiver is often charged with keeping track of important documents, such as the wills, the marriage licenses, the deeds, and even the treatment plans. And many of the caregivers have multiple roles across the cancer experience, such as having to be the head of the household, being mom, being dad, being, you know, a husband or wife. So those of you listening on this call, you now have an idea of why you as caregivers, if you're the caregiver, feel tired, sleepy, or sleep-deprived and distressed. And for patients and providers listening in today, now you have a glimpse of what a caregiver goes through on a daily basis. However, we know caregivers can benefit from education and support during the various phases of the cancer experience, and that is why Cancer Care provides these educational sessions. We also know there's an increase in resources available online, in print, in the community, and through formal educational services, and even through support groups. Whatever type of strategy is developed for the caregiving experience, we must keep in mind, in mind that all these interventions need to be tailored to you as the patient, to you as the caregiver, and to your family. In the next few moments, I'm going to focus on the three areas that um, seem to be important to a caregiver. The first one is kind of picking up on the thread that Dr. Um, O'Donnell spoke about on keep being organized and um, you know, having um, the planning that's involved with that. 
The second, then, I will provide methods to create a long-distance caregiver team comprised of family, friends, neighbors, or acquaintances. And then uh, third, I'll outline some tips on how to cope with stressors associated with being a caregiver, such as fatigue, sleep problems, sadness. And then I will summarize my sessions by just presenting a few self-care tips that uh, caregivers and families can use to lighten the load of caregiving. Two of the major side effects, so to speak, of the cancer experience to patients, caregivers, and their loved ones is the loss of control and the uncertainty that surrounds the disease. Thank goodness there are two very simple mechanisms for managing these consequences, planning and organizing. So one of the first steps to ident- is to identify and organize all your important documents that are needed as you develop a tailored caregiver plan. Here's some four, here are four basic steps. One is have a candid uh, discussion with your loved one diagnosed with cancer and ask them where they, leave, where they keep their important papers, such as the birth of the marriage certificates, insurance policies, living wills, military records, driver's license, and other similar documents. It's also important to gather information speci- specific to their diagnosis, its treatment, such as the prescriptions for medications, medical records, um, and things of the similar importance. Also, it's important to begin a paper or a log of folks, uh, folk of like the providers, the healthcare team, when um, their uh, telephone numbers and other contact information. But it can also include things like uh, the babysitter's information or the dog uh, walker information. What, whoever is important in keeping your day-to-day activities going, that's who you want to put on this log of important people and important numbers. Outline an emergency plan. You know, plan ahead of time. Identify who's going to be helpful during the times of emergencies. And I don't mean just call 911. We all know to do that with an emergency. But there may be times when maybe you get a flat tire and you're on the way to an appointment. Who can you call to take care of that? You know, who can you call to help you th- during that period? Because it creates a minor crisis at that point. Now, once the location of these items have been established, you can all agree on the storage location. That is, where will those documents be stored or located? In a file drawer, in an attorney's office, or even in a safety deposit box? Next is the family. All of you can get together and review the documents and their locations together so everyone is kept in the communication loop. Designate one person as the family spokesperson and the decision maker before anything happens. And this is just even when you're going in to talk to your healthcare team or you're going in to talk to um, an attorney or whomever it is. And if you have the whole family involved or important family figures involved, that will help that communication loop going. The second topic focuses on how to involve family members, friends, and neighbors in the long-distance caregiving experience. This can be particularly challenging because of the chronicity of cancer. We find that caregivers can have more support during the initial phase as when one is newly diagnosed with cancer and is going through the treatment. However, that support often lessens or disappears completely as the disease stays with us or stays with, with the patient. And that is when the caregiver is apt to feel the burden of being a caregiver. So what are some of the steps that you can take to keep these folks involved? Well, you know, include parents, grandparents, siblings, extended families, such as cousins, aunts, etc. Once they are engaged, then step up the boundaries of what will be expected of them and the time commitment needed for them. You know, I think if you give, what I have found is if you give people a certain task and a certain timeline and a certain deadline, they are pretty accountable and they'll step up. And if they don't, then they can always try to have time to be able to find somebody to step up for them. 
widen the circle. That is, ask your neighbors, people from your place of worship, or even from your community centers for help. It's normal to feel reluctant or maybe even some embarrassment about asking for help. But stay focused on your goal, which is to increase your support circle for um, caregiving. The next thing you want to do is then hold caregiver meetings. And you can do that by phone. You can even do it by a three-way telephone call. You know, identify the roles and responsibilities, the assignments, the schedules, and the backup plans. If you can and you want to write it down, make copies of this plans for everyone so there is clarity and communication about these important tasks. If you don't want to send out copies to people, just take photos and send those. Everybody's using their phones nowadays for everything. So having uh, the pictures of those, of those plans and then that people will have easy accessibility to it. Use social media to communicate with your caregiver team. For example, Twitter or use the Internet uh, to communicate about needs. There's an online service called Lots of Hands that can help coordinate services and efforts. And just as a reminder, our families in America are rapidly changing. We have single-head-of-household families. We have non-English-speaking families, military families, and previously often forgotten or unseen groups as, such as the LGBT families. There are resources for all of these groups. And once again, I, what I'd like to do is refer you to the Cancer Care website and some of the other websites, such as the ARP website, and you can find uh, different resources there. And then the other group is called the Family Caregiver Alliance um, that also has um, some resources online. Remember, people like to help. Remember that. So, and if given a chance to help, most likely they will say yes. And if this expanded network or circle of caregivers can help you lessen your caregiver burden and your family loved one um, will become a healthier um, individual because you are being a healthier caregiver. The third area focuses on ways to cope with stressors. All, all of us recognize caregiving is a demanding job. It takes a great deal of physical and emotional stamina to be a caregiver, particularly over a long period of time. Often caregiver responsibilities can contribute to high stress levels and caregiver burden, which includes high levels of feeling distressed, fatigue, or having loss of sleep. However, studies have shown that patients' outcome were not as positive when a caregiver was in poor physical and emotional health. So one easy thing to do is monitor oneself as the caregiver for signs of stress, and these would include things such as persistent headaches, neck and shoulder tightness, mood swings, crying spells, irritability, and sadness more than usual, poor concentration, forgetfulness, maybe even having a negative attitude, low productivity, feelings of isolation, oh, that high blood pressure, stomach upsets, or increased use of alcohol, drugs, or tobacco. These are all indicators that something's going on with your own health. So if you do notice these signs and symptoms, there are things you can do to take care of yourself. So in my remaining time, I'd like to outline a few self-care methods to help deal with that stress. The first one, pay attention to your own physical and mental health. When you see or you feel that you're experiencing these signs and symptoms I briefly mentioned, ask for, help, ask for uh, medical advice, go to see your physician, or you can even go to um, look for social services and social workers that can help you if you're feeling some of that distress. Deal with those feelings 
Don't just ignore them because if you keep ignoring them, they are going to come to some kind of crisis. And again, remember, if you, uh, the caregiver is in a crisis, the patient will eventually suffer from that and have their own outcomes um, altered in some way. Find time to relax, exercise, and we heard uh, lots of wonderful tips from Dr. O'Donnell on the importance of exercising. Slow down, even walk slower. You know, so I've seen some caregivers that they're like in fifth gear all the time. So just slowing down and taking the time to just stop for a moment and being in the moment. I think it's now called mindfulness, but it's just stopping for a moment and slowing down. Remember to keep yourself organized and be sure to plan. Learn to say no without feeling guilty. It's okay that you're not going to have Thanksgiving at your house. It's okay that Memorial Day cook-off is not going to be held at your house and those wonderful hot dogs that you always make are not going to be there. Just be, don't feel guilty about saying, no, we can't do it this year. Connect with your friends and stay positive. One very important secret weapon caregivers have but don't always realize it is their own or their family's strengths often call resiliency. Family stories are important in this type of situation. Share family stories, videotape the stories, remember past traditions and talk about how to create new traditions and memories. You can keep a mood chart. I did that with nieces and nephews when they were going through their little phases of toddlers and adolescents. You know, I'd show them a happy face, I'd show them a sad face, I'd show them a mad face. That might be a way that you want to communicate with your your patient and saying, you know, um, your loved one that you're caring for, I'm not feeling like this today. This is how I feel today. And just show them the face. So you don't even have to talk about your feelings. You can just show the picture of your feelings. So just to reinforce, reinforce the importance of taking care of yourself, remember to eat well, participate in some type of relaxing activity or relaxation technique. You can even begin an art-related activity. You can paint, doodle, dance, or journal about your experiences. Be or get to be physically active, and it doesn't mean going on a 12K run. It can just be walking around your block, um, doing some things, sitting in your chair. You, know, you can do some mild uh, passive exercise. Sleep, that's important. Try to get enough sleep and sneak in those few moments when you can. Prevent injuries, such as we heard about the back injuries when lifting, moving, or bathing patients. And maintain your own pre preventative health services. In closing, I just want to remind you that caregiver burden or burnout is a growing public health concern. We are seeing more attention focused on the risks to being a caregiver on, um, and on the caregiver's physical and emotional health and the impact of an unhealthy caregiver has on the outcomes of the patient they are caring for. Caregiver burden is, can affect the whole entire family. It's a domino effect. So if any of you, I'd like to encourage any of you that are experienced or new caregivers, if you have any ideas or tips that you'd like to share, we'd be happy to hear them during our Q&A period. This concludes my remarks, and I'll turn it over to my colleague who will now continue the dialogue. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Palos. That was wonderful. And we do want to have comments from all of you. So I just want to say a few words about Cancer Care Services, and then we're going to um, open this to your comments. Um, recommendations that, that, that work for you, tips that work for you, and if anyone has any questions as well, of course. Um, so um, Cancer Care is a national organization. Many of you are familiar with us. Um, we provide uh, um, practical and financial assistance, um, which means we help to pay for sometimes transportation for treatment, home care, child care, um, pain medication. We also do have a copay foundation that does help significantly to help pay for 
the cost of cancer treatment. So that's a, those are larger grants. And if for some reason we don't have what you need, we know who does have it. So we're a good all to come to place to call, I hope to say that. Um, we also, our oncology social workers provide um, accounting services, which really is a fancy word for someone you can talk to who really listens and helps you to think through what you need, what you'd like to have, what, what you're struggling with. And to some extent, a lot of people will call us, uh, uh, first of all, for something practical, for some practical help, and then also will call because they are wondering, well, well, how do I talk to my children or my grandchildren about my, my cancer? How do I, um, if, if you're still working or a volunteer, how do I tell people that I have cancer? How do I tell them about this? How do I tell people if I'm not feeling well one day? Um, and how do I deal with it myself? Why did this happen to me? So, well, and so many other questions that I know you all have that come to your mind. And um, so they, those are often things that people um, come up with to kind of call us about. And they also, in addition to that, and we have support groups. Um, lots of people like a support group. You're with other people who may have comparable concerns as you do. So um, I think as I stated earlier, we have groups for all ages and for all relationships. So for people who are um, a patient themselves living with multi-myeloma, for people who are caregivers, for spouses, partners, um, loved ones, young professionals, um, young, young adults who may be caring for someone or who may be struggling with cancer themselves. And we also have a Cancer Care for Kids program, primarily working with children who have cancer in their families and helping them to understand or helping families to understand how to communicate with them. Um, so how do you tell a five-year-old that perhaps a grandparent isn't feeling well um, to play with them, but still really care a great deal about them. So those kinds of questions that often come up that people wonder, how do I deal with this? Um, we also have these programs, these workshops we offer, and we also have publications. So with that being said, we now do have time for questions. I'm going to ask Norma to explain to you how to queue up and ask either a question or to make a comment. And all are welcome. Uh, Norma? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit your questions by clicking Ask a Question. Um, and we have a question here um, from one of our online participants. Um, So this is a this is a complicated question. Um, my husband has multi-myeloma stage three. I'm having trouble keeping on top of my job, taking care of him and home, and accompanying him to appointments. Um, I can tell him. I can tell. I can tell him. I oh, I can't afford to lose my income or my job, and I'm not quite sure how to handle this. What should I do? So um, this is a complicated question, perhaps it's one on many people's minds. As caregivers, how do I do other things I do and take care of my loved one? Um, so um, Dr. Palos, would you like to start with that one? Certainly. That is a, an excellent um, question, and it is a dilemma that um, not only caregivers but also employees, I mean patients as employees face. One of the first things that would be useful and beneficial to do is, of course, talk to your uh, manager, supervisor, whomever it is in your office um, 
and let them know what is going on. I know we tend to try to be very private about these kinds of situations, but in this situation where it may entail you being late for work at times or you're going to need to um, have an afternoon off or morning off, then um, that would be a good way to communicate. The other group that I would uh, suggest communicating with is your HR people. Remember, there are family medical leave acts uh, in many of the offices now. I think they're available. So it would be good to find out what falls under that um, domain in your particular work situation. You could talk about maybe making arrangements to come in early so you can leave early, um, to maybe take on some work to um, home, even though it's supposed to be work balance, but maybe on one particular day, if you're going to need the whole day, you might be available by telephone, or you might be able to do something um, later on that evening um, for things that you need to meet a deadline for. So I, I, I believe really the most important thing to do is communicate with people in your workplace find out what type of benefits may be available to you, and then find out what some of those restrictions are. And again, I, I really can't encourage people enough not to be embarrassed or be reluctant to let folks know what you're going through. Um, that's very important because, as I mentioned before, people want to help. And everyone, more people than what we want to know about, get affected by cancer. So it's not a new experience to, to folks like an aha People know what this experience, what this disease does, and what the impact that it has on the family. Um, I hope that answers uh, some of your questions. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Perils. And actually, we do have a workshop next week on cancer in the workplace, understanding your legal protections, and it's um, we have a lawyer speaking on that as well as an oncologist, as a palliative care physician. And I think I would definitely recommend if it fits your schedule. It's on. Wednesday, May 29th, um, and it's from the same time period as this one is. So um, basically, um, and if for some reason you aren't able to listen to it live, it will be available as a um, for replay as well um, within a day or two after the program. So thank you. And we do have a question in front of our online participants about resources um, and asking about virtual um, support groups. Um, and so I just want to. I, I want to comment on that. CancerCare does have about 138 online support groups. So those are available for caregivers, definitely, and also telephone support groups. Um, so that, um, and I realize that for some people it is, I think this particular caller is indicating that um, the, um, it would be interesting to actually, and helpful for geographically distri distributed families to be able to participate together and among others dealing with similar issues. And it's true that on, a, on, a, on an online support group, people are from all over the country, and the same is true for the telephone support groups. Probably more so on the online groups just because they're, um, there's no specific time that they occur as opposed, and you know, that you can post any time of the day or night. They are facilitated by an oncology social worker. The telephone groups do occur at a certain time, so it just depends on what that time zone is for you in terms of just the, the different parts of the country. Um, so we have both um, options for people. Um, and um, uh, and any of the other speakers want to comment just about the question that was the question, the earlier question that Dr. Palos had just addressed. Okay. So um, so we have another question here. Um, so this is a question that does come up often on these programs. So how do I enlist other members of my family? And here they're talking about brother or sister to help in mom's care. Um, I know we all have lots going on, but my siblings expect me to take 
um, take care of all of mom's chores and watch over her. So, um, so um, Ms. Flynn, would you like to address this question? Sure, and this falls under difficult conversations, doesn't it? Um, you feel like perhaps you're doing all the work of taking care of a loved one and you have two siblings that could help out um, that um, perhaps aren't helping out as much as they should. And so I would really encourage you to sit down with your siblings um, and maybe have um, a, a third-party person there um, if you think things might get tense um, because you don't want to have um, um, a shouting match with your loved ones. You want to have just a realistic conversation um, with your siblings to say, look, these are all the things and maybe you need to list them out because you're doing such an amazing job at taking care of mom and your household that they're not seeing all the things that you're doing. So sometimes if you write out all the things that you're doing for your mom and share that with your brother and sister, they um, they might say, gosh, you're doing one way more than we thought you were doing. Um, and then that's a great time for you to kind of divvy up some of those chores. So maybe they can do the grocery shopping. One can do the grocery shopping. The other can do the household cleaning. Um, or maybe one can go to the appointments the first week of the month um, and you go to the ones the second week of the month. Um, there, it's a great way to kind of have a family calendar and list of chores and um, a way to kind of divvy that up. So I would, I would encourage a family meeting um, so that all of this could be discussed. Excellent. Thank you. And anyone else want to comment on that? So I think we are almost at end time. And I actually, before we conclude, um, I wondered if um, Ms. Flynn would be willing to actually do um, a, a short relaxation exercise for all of us because I know that all of you came into this call because you have some degree of stresses in your life. And it might be nice to conclude the call with a a moment to relax, and then I'll just wrap it up. But I think um, if you would be willing to do that, Ms. Flynn, that would be probably very nice for all of us and um, all the people on the call. It might be a very pleasant way to conclude the call today. Also, it is before a long weekend, and that also has its own particular um, soon. I mean, not today, but over the weekend, so that has its own stresses on families as well. So shall we do a short relaxation exercise, Ms. Flynn? Sure, great. Thank you so much for asking. And um, if you're looking for additional relaxation techniques, um, you can find them on, on, can on the Cancer Care website. Okay, so I want everybody to get into a comfortable position, and this might be sitting or standing. And I want you to close your eyes if you feel comfortable, and think of a location that makes you feel happy. This could be at the beach, it could be standing next to a mountain, or swinging on um, a tire swing from a tree or at a park. And while you're thinking of this happy place, and um, you might want to consider closing your eyes, and do you see the vivid colors of where you are? Can you hear the birds chirping? Or do you hear the waves crashing? Is there an ice cream truck ringing a bell? Can you feel the sunshine on your skin? Now take a deep breath in, using all the muscles of your chest, and hold it for a second, and then exhale. And we're going to do that two more times. So take a deep breath in, and hold it for however long is comfortable for you, and then exhale. 
And last time, take a deep breath in and hold, and then exhale. And as you're exhaling, smile. Think of this happy place. And then gently open your eyes. Lean into that experience of being calm. And there, just a couple deep breaths, your favorite happy place, and hopefully your stress has gone down just a little bit. Thank you. Well, thank you, Ms. Flynn, and that's something that everyone can do, um, and it only takes a minute or two, actually, um, and you can do it as often as you need to. Um, I want to thank everyone, our speakers particularly, have been phenomenal. I want to thank all of you on the call who have, I think, as Ms. Flynn had said, have taken the time to be with us on the call today um, to get some support through this program. Um, I also... um, I know there are many more questions in queue, and so I just wanted to kind of indicate that if you do have further questions, of course, um, there is your healthcare team. You also can contact Cancer Care just because it's a simple go-to place, but there are many other organizations that you can contact. At the end of the program, probably tomorrow, you will be getting an evaluation form, but it's not just an evaluation form. You also will get all of those resources that were mentioned during the call today and also that may be on the materials that we've sent to you, so you'll have those resources that you can access and contact, and any of the upcoming programs that might be of interest to you as well. And most importantly, as we conclude today, we do not want any one of you to think that you are alone, that there is no one for you. That is a tempting feeling that many people have a lot, certainly, in dealing with multimyeloma as a caregiver, in dealing with cancer in general. Um, however, please know that there are many resources for you, and we are all here to help you. Um, and there are some resources that um, are during business hours. There are some resources that happen uh, 24 hours a day, and we will make those available to you when you get the materials so that you really can feel, no matter where you live or how far away you are from everyone, that you really can connect by phone or going to someone's website and really connecting with getting some help and with your healthcare team. So, again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a wonderful day.